Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's episode is on asthma, and we're, we're adding a little bit of a sidebar that everybody has been interested in of late, and that's air quality, okay? Because, boy, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm going outside lately, I've been coughing, and maybe we can get some insights on that from our great guest, and we'll, we'll introduce her in a, in a minute. We have, if if our listening audience has heard some of our, our great shows, we we Clarence and I can't do this by our, ourselves. And we've got a crew that's that really is second to none. Uh, we've got three great researchers that do some good background research for us. They don't get everything because that's why we have illustrious guests, but they give us enough to really chew on and provide some good insights as we talk in our chat together. So we've got Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, together they're a trifecta second to none. Matthew Campbell is our production manager, puts all the logistics together. Every Just about every week we get a, a show out and he's the one that, that puts it out for all of you to connect with. And also Sheridan Nygaard is also one of our researchers, but also she does some of our great marketing work. So thank you to all of you. You're greatly appreciated. Then of course there's Clarence, my great colleague, who I'll tell you, we're having a lot of fun doing this. I mean, we could, any one of the shows that we've done, we could go on for hours, you know, on any of the subjects, but we really do chat together and we keep up on all the different aspects that's going on in healthcare together. And he and I have been around the block a little bit. And so uh, hopefully we have some interesting, insightful questions today as well. And then of course, there's our sponsor, Human Partnership Community Organization in the uh, the Twin City metropolitan areas where they're housed, but they service the, the whole state of Minnesota on a variety of, of great health issues. And we really, really thank them for their their help along the way. So today, asthma, and in parentheses, air quality. How's that? Okay. <laughs> so uh, we have a great guest, Gail, Dr. Gail Brotman, pediatric pulmonologist at Hennepin County Medical Center in uh, downtown Minneapolis and also M Health Fairview. Special interest in, in pediatric asthma, which by the way, I'm going to be asking between pediatric asthma and adult asthma, just a little bit. All right. Uh, and we'll see where that, that goes. Uh, she's a faculty member, associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics of the University of Minnesota, faculty member in pediatric pulmonology and sleep medicine, which is also kind of an interesting sidebar on all of this. We'll talk about that as well. She's, she's a great colleague, knows her stuff and much better than we do. And so, you know, we could be short of breath while she goes ahead and talks about this subject for us. So welcome, welcome to Health Chatter. Thank you, and Stan. Today's it's, show uh, it's really asthma. good to be here. Thanks, thanks. Okay, so let's get the show moving here. Let's, you know, for all our listening audience all over the place, let's start with the basic. What is asthma? 
So asthma is a condition that um, many people have that um, causes swelling or the other word we use for it is inflammation in the airways. And what happens is when you get swelling or inflammation in your airways, um, your airways are the things that allow you to bring air and oxygen into your lungs and breathe the carbon dioxide out of your lungs. And so really they're just a series of tubes. And if the tubes get narrowed, it makes it harder to push air through. And that's basically what happens in people with asthma. The airways get swollen. Uh, you get extra mucus that builds up in the airways for a variety of reasons. And subsequently, it makes it harder to breathe. Yeah. And harder to breathe. I, I'll tell you, I had asthma as a kid. And um, I remember that that feeling, you know, for those of you who have never had it, great. But if you've ever had it, that feeling where you can't get enough air into your into your lungs is is actually frightening. It really is. It's um, and I, I assume that after a while you can get used to to the feeling and you don't get as blitzed out about it but it's still it really is debilitating it really really is all right so let's talk about um pediatric asthma which is which is your specialty so what do we need to know well i just and i just want to make a comment about what you said about about asthma being debilitating stan um because I think it's really, really important for people to understand uh, that we have really good treatments for asthma now. And um, there are Olympic athletes that have asthma, um, like gold medal winning Olympic athletes. Michael Phelps has yeah, asthma, yeah. Yeah. a famous swimmer, and Jackie right. Joyner Kersey, who was one of the world's fastest women runners uh, has asthma. And so um, I just I just want people to know that while, you know, asthma can be a problem and definitely can cause difficulty with breathing and you get uncomfortable and things like that, that it really doesn't have to be debilitating and it doesn't have to become a disability, um, especially in adulthood if it's treated early and, um, and treated properly. And so, so that's where I come in um, as a pediatric pulmonologist. Um, I think that it's really important for children to have a diagnosis of asthma made as early as possible. And I think one of the challenges for pediatricians, family physicians, is that there are other things that can cause babies and young children to wheeze. As we know, viruses can cause wheezing um, that are self-limited, that are not asthma. Um, but when you have children who have recurrent episodes of wheezing, especially between colds, right? So if you're having 
uh, wheezing with a runny nose and a cold and your child is in daycare, um, then your pediatrician or your family doctor is going to say, oh yeah, it's probably just a respiratory viral illness. It'll be fine. But if these are recurrent episodes of wheezing where um, you're seeing that when your child is running and playing, that they get short of breath, they seem like they're really not able to catch their breath. Maybe they just sit down and say, I'm tired. I don't want to run anymore. That's not normal for kids, right? You know, maybe grownups are lazy or whatever. Kids are not lazy. Um, and, and I say that with all seriousness. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's important that if the, if the child has recurrent, and I'm underlining recurrent, episodes of wheezing or shortness of breath or a cough that won't go away, especially when they're not sick, um, those are symptoms of childhood asthma. And, you know, there's sort of a urban myth, maybe it's a medical myth that children under the age of five cannot be diagnosed with asthma. And actually that's not true. Um, you can diagnose asthma in young children. Um, but at that point, that's where I come in as a lung specialist for children, where if, uh, if your primary care provider isn't sure if it's asthma, then, you know, people might want to say, hey, uh, can you refer me to a specialist? Because I just feel like this is more than a cold uh, or recurrent viral infections. And so I think that's really important for people to know. Yeah. You know, um, as a parent, you know, I, I certainly can remember my own parents that, you know, my, especially my mother, she would get really blitzed out, you know, when either my sister who also had asthma or myself had an asthma attack. Yeah. I mean, cause it's really, it's frightening, it's you know, see your, see your kid, you know, suffering like that, et cetera. And I remember, um, our pediatrician coming to the house <laughs> and, you know, imagine that, um, you know, house calls, but um, which is kind of another subject at some point we should talk about in health chatter. But at any rate, um, and they gave me a shot mm. and I can't remember what it might've been. Was it, it adrenaline? It was epinephrine. They gave epinephrine. you a shot of, uh, of epinephrine or known yeah. as adrenaline. Adrenaline. Okay. Yes. Same yes. thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is that still done today? So very fortunately, and, and um, I've been actually doing this for quite a long time uh, as well, um, but um, uh, a long time ago, we, we really didn't have a lot of good asthma medicines, and more importantly, we didn't really understand that the key component of, of an asthma attack, if you will, uh, was actually swelling of the airways. And... Um, Really what we thought asthma was, was just that the muscles that are around the air tubes in your lungs were just squeezing tight. And, and so the adrenaline would relax those muscles. And, um, and so that, that's why we used it. We also used to use a medicine called theophylline, uh, which we don't really use anymore. But what, what happened with a lot of really good medical research over the years, is now we have a more specific medication that is administered either in an inhaler um, mm -hmm. or a nebulizer that is very specific 
to relax the muscles. This medication is called albuterol, and we call that uh, a rescue medicine. But um, the most important thing is that now when somebody's having an asthma attack, we know that albuterol is just a temporary relief. It's kind of like giving Tylenol for a fever, right? So that mm -hmm. Tylenol is not treating the cause of the fever. It's just treating the symptom. And that's what albuterol does. It just relaxes the muscles. And that we know now what's important to do when somebody's having an asthma attack is to also give them a medicine to decrease the swelling. And typically, those are medicines called steroids. Um, you might have heard the uh, name prednisone or prednisolone or decadron or dexamethasone. But those medicines need to be used together because if you just use the rescue medicine or the albuterol or even the epinephrine, right? The epinephrine would wear off and then mm -hmm. they'd have to give it again, right? Because again, it wasn't treating the swelling, which is really causing the air airway narrowing over a period of time. And so that's really changed this whole idea of airway inflammation or swelling has really totally changed the whole frame shift of how we treat asthma. And, and I think, again, that's really, really important for people to understand that by addressing these chronic issues in the airways with asthma controller medicines that would be taken daily to decrease the swelling, you can prevent those asthma attacks, yeah. actually. And that's really, really key. So, all right. So, um, I, I, again, I'll use myself as a guinea pig here on the show. I don't have asthma now, at least, mm -hmm. at least hopefully I don't. Okay. So, talk to us a little bit about this business of pediatric asthma, Okay, which you're you're an expert in, and then shall I say outgrowing it as as an adult? So what what's the story there? Well, that's a really good question, um, and and actually, I don't know that I have a good answer because really our our understanding of asthma as it develops in childhood that um, you have this swelling in your air tubes um, that may not always be terrible. Um, it kind of can get worse and better over time. What we do know that there are um, different groups, uh, let's just say, of children that have asthma and those relate to risk factors. Yeah. Um, and, and let me just explain that briefly. So um, we understand that asthma runs in families, right? So I don't know if your parents had asthma yeah, or yeah. allergies, yeah. Um, but we know, uh, for example, I have very curly hair. Uh, my mother had curly hair. My daughter has curly hair. I have freckles. So we know that a, a lot, many, many, many things in our body uh, are determined by genetics. And and asthma is really no different than that, right? And so if you have a genetic uh, predisposition because of family history, if you yourself 
have allergies or eczema, um, basically you're more likely to not grow, outgrow asthma as an adult, really because of all of those other factors that are playing into the airway inflammation, right? Um, there are a group of children uh, which we unfortunately call early wheezers. We treat them like early asthma wheezers. because they respond. But these are babies aged zero to three that wheeze a lot with viral infections, sometimes between viral infections, um, that their parents do not have asthma. They don't have allergies. They don't have asthma. They have no risk factors whatsoever, right? but they wheeze and they act like asthma and they actually stop wheezing by the time they're three to five years of age. And they wow. don't wheeze again necessarily because um, they just don't have those risk factors. Um, there's another group of children um, that uh, is called our late onset wheezers, which this is more your typical asthma where um, they don't really start wheezing until they're five to seven years old. They're more associated with uh, developing allergies, seasonal allergies, sometimes food allergies. Again, most of those kids, there's some family history, maybe not of asthma, but the parents have seasonal allergies or, or food allergies or something like that. And then there's the other group of children, which we call persistent wheezers, which these are the children that um, start wheezing when they're, er, when they're young, when they're babies, okay. um, their parents have asthma, they have eczema, there's a lot of allergies. And these are the babies that de really develop asthma. Um, anywhere from 70 to 85% of those children will develop asthma by the time they're age seven. Now, your question about sort of how does this go into adulthood um, I think for, and not practicing adult medicine, so I'm going to just qualify that, um, you know, I think that things change actually quite a bit in adolescence. And this is where we see um, maybe there's some hormonal, um, you know, influence on what's happening in your airways or something like that. There are a fair amount of adolescents that will stop wheezing and actually not need to use their asthma controller medicine anymore. And so maybe we would say they've kind of outgrown their asthma. I think that my experience and my opinion is that if you had asthma as a child, even though you don't have any current asthma symptoms, that if you are exposed to the right uh, trigger, which is what our term is for an, something that will cause you to have asthma symptoms or an asthma attack, that you probably are going to wheeze. And I think that gets into the air pollution. Uh, correct, issue, correct. Right? I mean, I think that, that when you're talking about people who have sensitivities, right, where, you know, they're maybe... Um, they only need to use their inhaler when they run. Like I'm starting to train for a marathon and I started to get short of breath and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And then, oh yeah, I used to have asthma when I was younger, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think that I think that plays a role. The other piece of this, 
And I really, I, I can't speak a lot about this because again, I'm not an adult provider, but there also is um, something that is called the asthma COPD overlap syndrome, mm. where adults who continue to have asthma, who maybe smoke or are exposed to some toxins in their workplace can actually go from having asthma to COPD at a younger age than would be expected uh, for somebody to develop COPD. So there's a lot of research being done on this asthma COPD overlap syn um, syndrome. There's a lot of work being done on trying to figure out why did these early wheezers stop wheezing? Yeah. Why did they wheeze in the first place? And then why did they stop wheezing? So um, there's a lot of science happening, which is very exciting uh, to give us a better idea of how to treat people with the, with these conditions. So, all right. So a, a lot of stuff here. All right. So I just wonder, and, you know, again, I think, Gail, in this case, it might be a function of um, further research coming down the pike here. But I wonder that as you just grow into adulthood, your lungs become more mature and able to, to maybe handle some of these, what you call triggers, but who knows? I mean, you know, that's, that's yet to, to be determined. All right, so let's talk about asthma as a condition here. Is asthma curable or is it just treatable? So asthma is, at least today, right this minute, asthma yeah. is not curable. Okay. Uh, but as we talked about, uh, it is treatable. Um, and that's with uh, what I mentioned, the word controller medication, um, which uh, is a medicine that actually decreases the swelling or inflammation in your airway. So our controller medications, which usually come in the form of inhalers. Mm -hmm. uh, there are now some biologics, which are injections or IV medications uh, that are used for people with more severe asthma. But for your general population, um, what we're talking about is uh, daily inhalers um, that someone would take to decrease the swelling or inflammation in the airways over time. So, all right. So, all right. Let's let's talk about these inhalers for just mm -hmm. a second. Does a person who has asthma <clears throat> do they take do they use an inhaler as a prevention or only as an intervention when they're actually having an asthma attack? So um, it, it, that's a great question. And um, so it, it actually depends on the severity of your asthma and how often you're having symptoms. So it's very hard, especially in young children. So we cannot do uh, lung function testing in young children. Actually, we can do it, but it's, it's really tricky. So yeah. um, I don't know if uh, people uh, are familiar with doing a breathing test where you blow into this machine and you keep blowing, 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 blowing. And that actually measures 
um, how wide open your air tubes are, right? So if your air tubes are narrowed by this swelling or inflammation, you would not be able to push as much air through. And so the numbers on these pulmonary function tests goes down, mm. right? So if your air tubes are um, like swollen and you can only blow 50%, then that's a problem. Um, you know, and, and that means that there's a lot of swelling in those air tubes. And if your lung function is only 50% of predicted, then you need to take a daily preventive medicine every day, even if you're not actively having what I would call an asthma attack. Gotcha. Um, I want to get back to one thing that you said earlier, which I think is really important that um, people who have chronic asthma that have uh, ongoing um, airway narrowing can get really used to how they're breathing, right? And mm. so they may not feel short of breath, just walking around, right, just sitting right, around, right, yeah. even though their lung function is not normal. The problem is, is if you're starting with air tubes, that are 50% closed up, you're the, it's gonna be that much easier if you get into some sort of trigger like smoke or bad air or something yeah. like that for you to have an asthma attack versus if you have air tubes that are 100% open or 90% open, right? The likelihood that you're gonna have an asthma attack is really, really decreased. And so, you know, part of, of the way we determine, um, and this is especially for young children, about how much swelling is in the air tubes is by how often they have symptoms, right? And so it's really, really important for, um, for people to tell their healthcare provider, you know, that, well, no, I don't hear my kid wheezing every day, but they can't do gym right? They can't run because they get shorter breath. Well, that's a symptom, yeah, right? Kids yeah. should be able to run and not get shorter breath, right? So it might not be that they're having asthma attacks where they're gasping for air or wheezing or sucking in or looking scary, yeah. right? But those little symptoms are really, really important clues as to how open the air tubes are and actually should guide your healthcare provider as to determining whether or not you need to have a daily preventive medicine, which we call an asthma controller, mm -hmm. or, you know, just a rescue medicine before exercise. So it's really kind of looking at uh, clues to see if we can tell how much swelling is, again, and I'm going to probably say this a million more times during our conversation, it's all about airway inflammation and yeah. how much is there, what's triggering it, and how do we decrease it and in an, or in an effort to really control the asthma symptoms and prevent asthma attacks. That's the all right. So, all right. So a couple of angles on this. Yep. So, um, Here's just kind of like getting down and dirty. What if, you know, a, a kid um, has to have some kind of an operation, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. And okay. And you know, excuse me, you know, we got to make sure that you're, you're, you're breathing. All right. Yep. What, how is that type of thing balanced between the, the surgeon, whoever, and for instance, you as, as a pulmonologist to make sure everything is in sync so that we can proceed with, in this case, an operation. Like for instance, I, I know when I, when I'm seeing uh, orthopedic patients, you know, we have them post, this is after the surgery, post using a spirometer, you know, which is, you know, that thing where you just breathe out to start getting your lungs really kind of moving right. and get that anesthesia moving out of your system. Right. Tell me how it is that you balance in this case, a very, a very specific situation, an operation right. for a kid right, right, who happens to be asthmatic. Right. Well, and, and that's a great question, Stan. And, and we do this all the time, right? Because um, anesthesia um, is a risk for people yeah. with asthma, right? It's, it's not only surgeries, but for example, dental procedures, right? Um, we have so, pediatric dentists here at Hennepin that do amazing work um, on all different kinds of kids with all different kinds of respiratory issues. Um, and, you know, they need to make sure that these kids are breathing properly before they're going to sedate them or right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and again, it really gets back to trying to make an assessment of how somebody's lungs are functioning and at a point in time. That at that point at that particular point in time when they're in need of a of a operation and we do a lot of visits uh like you know uh two weeks before a month before a scheduled surgery to make an evaluation and quite frankly you know i have told parents and surgeons that if i think that a child's lungs are not in optimal condition that they should you know, put it off the they surgery can. because yeah. of the risk. And obviously, you know, it's not always elective, right? We work right. at a level one trauma center here. Um, yeah. And again, you know, I think it's, it's really about trying to make a, an assessment of how much swelling is in those airways, how well is your asthma controlled? So there are um, uh, actually, and people can look it up online, Um, If they look up asthma control test, um, this was a um, a survey that was developed actually by a drug company called GlaxoSmithKline, uh, but is available in multiple languages. And it's actually, uh, there's a a test, asthma control test for ages 4 to 11 and for 12 and above. And it basically says, how often are you having symptoms, right? And again, what we said was that the more symptoms somebody is having, and I'm not talking asthma attacks, I'm just talking, how often do you cough during the day? How do you get shorter breath with normal activity? How often do you need to use your rescue or albuterol inhaler? If your asthma control test score is less than 20. And if your child's asthma control test score is less than 20, their asthma is not well controlled. And again, it's getting back to the symptoms of airway inflammation, um, causing narrowing that cause you to have these, these asthma symptoms. 
So it's all so, comes back to that same thing. All right. So, um, and that that's a very specific situation, you know, where okay. a kid has to have, in this case, you know, some kind of a, an operation, whether it's elective or not. Elective is a different story because you definitely can, you maybe put it off. Maybe in a, in a trauma situation, you can't. All right. So let's talk about some of these um, statistics for Ralph. So our illustrious crew, and, and you can confirm this. All right. So most asthma now we're talking about most common chronic disease among children. I mean, you know, I, I don't even think most people even know that. Okay. In the U.S., about one in 13 people have asthma. In 2018, not that many years ago, the annual economic cost of asthma was more than $82 billion. That's nationwide. That's just, yep. that's not, Minnesota can take a chunk of that, I'm sure. Okay. Yep. Um, all right. Now, the, the other thing that I really want to touch on is population differences. Mm -hmm. Do we see more asthma just in general amongst uh, different population groups or are certain population groups at higher risk based on your practice? What do you see? Yes, yes. Yes, uh, is sure. the answer. And, you know, um, and, I, and I'm going to sort of break this into a couple of different sort of ways to look at it. So yeah. really the the in the United States, the highest risk of asthma is in the Puerto Rican population. Interesting. I will tell you that, that wow. in Puerto Rico, Oops. yeah, and, and that I believe has to do with genetics, quite frankly. Okay. So if you look at populations, Puerto Ricans by far have the highest risk of asthma of any of any. Uh, I never would have guessed calling that. them a population, realizing that, you know, there are many, many, many different Hispanic, Latinx people with different from different areas of the world and diff different genetics, quite frankly. Um, and then and then the other populations that have higher uh, prevalence of asthma, quite frankly, are African-Americans. Mm -hmm. and um, also Native Americans, quite yeah. frankly. And I think some of that is genetics, but uh, some of that is basically due to differences in historical racism, um, in housing, um, in exposures to pollutants, and exposure to tobacco, um, so there, there are genetics, I believe that play a role. Um, but I believe, and I know for a fact that there are health disparities yeah. in our communities of color because of poverty, housing, and, um, exposures yeah. to, um, pollutants and things that really put people at higher risk for asthma. You know, I'll tell you, as you can imagine, on Health Chatter, we've talked about a variety of different conditions. And it's really, really saddening to me that for, frankly, for a majority of these situations, um, the groups, the very groups that you mentioned are at higher risk for 
unfortunately, it just seems just about everything. And it seems to me from, you know, a health, from a public health standpoint, from a medical standpoint, that is really where we have to start honing in on trying to help these people, as was yet another another situation where, again, I wouldn't have guessed Puerto Rican, but on the other hand, you know, we're still seeing, you know, American Indian, African American, it's just like, come on, we've got to start getting our, our hands around all these different chronic oriented diseases for these populations if we really want to try to make a difference. All right, so, I know we have you have one of your illustrious colleagues here, Kelly Albright Raps, who's 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 on the on the horn here as well. But I, I want to talk about the state plan. There's a state plan in the in the state of Minnesota. Um, frankly, you know, as you can imagine, at the Department of Health, they have plans for everything. But you know, you know, but at any rate, better to have something on paper and framed a little bit. Okay, so, and I know that, that Gail, that you, you've been involved um, and been a very, very good voice in, in the development of that. So might you just talk a minute about um, your perspectives on, on a plan, like, you know, that's in existence, that's number one, and then maybe how it relates to things like prevention, mm-hmm acute treatment, which you've, mm-hmm. you've, you've definitely talked about, and then um, and disease management, mm-hmm. and then maybe what we can do to better inform people about this so that um, we're on top of things better. So go ahead. So State you know, as, as with any as with any chronic illness, um, there are multiple uh, factors involved, as we talked about, right? And I think that uh, the importance of having a public health approach Mm -hmm. to something like asthma is absolutely 100% necessary, right? So it's, you know, it's, and, and let me just sort of go through the I'm thinking about bubbles that all intersect right around somebody with asthma. If you can visualize that Venn diagram of bubbles, right? Um, So, you know, if you're talking about about housing, right? That there needs to be some standards about housing. And if somebody, if, if people are living in poor housing conditions, how do they evaluate that? Is there somebody available to evaluate that? Are there standards for that? That is actually, there are live links. This asthma state plan is really wonderful. They, the fact that they, it, it used to be a book. It probably still is a book, but it wasn't very useful as a book because nobody ever looked at the book. Um, right now it's online and it has live links to all these amazing resources. So if you have a question about, you know, okay, how do I look for asthma triggers in my house? Or is there somebody who could come out to look at my house? That's available on the state plan, right? Um, The issue about um, provider education, right? I mean, there's a lot of providers that maybe, you know, I mean, for don't really understand how to 
diagnose asthma in young children? And what is the appropriate medication? What are the new guidelines? That's available on the state plan. There are links for healthcare providers. Schools, for example, right? Our kids are in school all day. Do the school nurses know how to identify asthma? Are there triggers in school? What kind of medicines do you know? So there's links for the school nurses, um, daycares. So again, I mean, taking a very global approach to multiple different agencies and venues that all are in some way involved in, in touching, if you will, uh, people with asthma. And this isn't just for children, this is for adults as well. And so, um, you know, I think that, that really the goal is that it's not just, I mean, part of it is that you have to be diagnosed with asthma, first of all, and you have to get proper treatment. But, you know, if you're constantly exposed to, you know, allergies or mold or something like that in your home, and if the, you know, you don't have an inhaler at school or your workplace, you have like some toxic environment at your workplace or, you know, all these things, all of these things have to come together in order to help control asthma. And quite frankly, you know, with the environmental pieces, with climate change and um, air quality standards and things like that, um, calling out uh, redlining and where housing is along highways and asthma, uh, prevalence along highways, all that information is on this, this website, right? Easily findable, easily findable, cool maps, but it really is going to help people advocate for improvements in each one of those sectors. And so by having everybody work towards the same goal, right, that's going to be what helps not only decrease the number of people developing asthma, hopefully, but also having asthma symptoms. And by decreasing the number of emergency room visits and hospitalizations from asthma, that is going to decrease the cost. Plus, so days from school and days from work. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so let's talk about a perspective from a parent. Mm-hmm. Okay, just you know, because you you obviously you deal with kids, but obviously you're their parents. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. I can only imagine that a parent would say, "You know what? I'm not going to worry about asthma unless I have to." Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, it's like okay, my kid. All of a sudden, I notice my kid's having a hard time breathing, et cetera, et cetera. At that point. I'll bring them in and and see what the heck's going on. On the other hand, wouldn't it be great if we were all at least at least semi knowledgeable about all these different various conditions that affect us as human beings, including asthma, ahead of time, so that we can we can go in and talk to these providers with some basic knowledge in our in our heads about this. Like, for instance, you had mentioned um, genetics. 
okay, it doesn't surprise me my kids having a little hard time breathing or or whatever. Because guess what? I remember when I was a kid, I had a hard time breathing too. And I had asthma, that type of thing. Okay. So I I really appreciate your 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 point about how it is that um, public health um, can help to um, com- communicate these concepts out to the public so that when you go in for care, you're not, even as a parent, you're not totally blitzed out. Okay. So, all right. So here's, you. we've alluded to this. All right. So we're going to get to it now. Air quality. So I'll give a, you know, I'll give a quick intro to this. All right. In, certainly in the state of Minnesota, there's been other states around the country that have been very um, affected by uh, Canadian fires that have gone on there and the smoke has been coming into the United States. And certainly, what was it, last week in in the state of Minnesota, our air quality was like off the charts. And, you know, I remember, you know, driving. It was was really, it was really terrible. And, um, you know, to the point where you'd go outside and you'd start coughing just (laughs) <laughs> what's what's going on and then it was like the middle of the day you you knew it wasn't raining or anything but but cars were running around with their lights on because it was so thick and dense okay so let's talk about I, i'm sure you you've gotten some questions about this let's talk about generally air quality as it relates to pulmonary issues in this case asthma so Let's talk about the linkages here. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, this is again, um, and I this is this is the theme. If you want to talk about airway inflammation and swelling and irritants, I mean, Coughing. think about what happens when you get smoke in your um, eyes um, and your eyes start watering. Right. That's your body's way of protecting itself right? Because you start tearing and it's supposed to rinse out your eyes. You get, you get stuff in your nose, your nose starts watering, you sneeze, you get mucus because the job of your lining of your nose and the lining of your airways is to try to keep stuff from getting way down in those little air sacs where the oxygen goes. And, um, you know, so what happens when you breathe in, these small particles, uh, the you might see the term PM 2.5 or PM 10 or something. Those are particles, very tiny particles. The smaller the particle, the deeper into your lungs they can go. And again, it's, it's an irritant and can cause swelling and mucus. And again, it's the swelling and the mucus and the irritants that can cause you to have trouble with your asthma. So, you know, I think everybody can relate to that. You know, what I will say is that uh, I have recently uh, downloaded on my phone and I just pulled up my my cell phone here. Um, I have recently downloaded, it's called airnow.gov and it's a free app that you can put on your phone. Um, you put in your zip code and it will give you uh, the number for what the air quality is in your zip code. And it tells you sort of what it looks like tomorrow. And I will tell you, so for people who are sensitive, that um, if it's if the air 
if the you know if the air air quality index, which is what it's called, um, is over 100, which is bad. So the lower the air quality index, the cleaner the air is. So lower is better, uh, mm -hmm. higher is terrible. Um, if it's over 100, then we're recommending that you know kids with asthma limit their outdoor activities and um, for sure like don't play soccer or football or yeah, tennis yeah, okay. or so i'll tell you if, if you know from a public health standpoint if i were a parent and i had a kid who was asthmatic having that app on mm -hmm. my phone yep. is a good it's just a good little tool Hey, yep. Johnny, let's make sure that everything yep. is A-OK -okay before you go play soccer, you know, or whatever. I have I have been telling people in my clinic, literally, while they're sitting there and we're having our visit, I just say, just download this and, it, and, it's and you'll instantaneous. have it. It's very helpful. But um, so, Stan, can I just circle back for a minute? I, I want to talk about two things. Obviously, mm -hmm. I know you have a an agenda here, but I, I have an agenda here, actually, uh, as an advocate for asthma, people with asthma. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to talk about two things. I, I want to talk about communication yeah. uh, with, um, with diverse communities, because um, I've been here at Hennepin Healthcare for 31 years now, as of July 1st. This has been my lifelong career to work with uh, communities of color and try to help uh, address health disparities around any respiratory issue, but obviously asthma is, is my passion. And I think that one of the challenges and, and really honestly, um, this is where the community needs to help step up to help itself is that, um, you know, and, and, and I'm just, you're, you're a straightforward person. I'm just going to call this out. There's, there's a lot of mistrust um, with uh, communities of color and the healthcare system. Absolutely. I mean, that's historical. It's, it's, uh, it's well-founded for good reasons, which we're not going to talk about today, uh, but it does exist. And um, so I think that in, communi in communications, especially with communicating about chronic conditions, about chronic medications that people might be a little afraid of, or, you know, use the word steroids and people think of the Olympics and bulk up steroids and, oh my gosh, and they're terrible. And so there, there needs to be um, communication from, from, community members who really can help advocate to other community members that asthma is a controllable disease, that it does not have to be limiting, that, um, that if you have questions about medications, that you should ask your healthcare provider, uh, that if there are trust issues with the person that you're seeing, you need to just see somebody else, exactly. right? I mean, yeah. um, you know, I work very closely. In fact, I, I also have a clinic at North Point, mm -hmm. um, which has been a great uh, advocate for the community of color in North Minneapolis. Um, so I, I think that that from a public health perspective, also, 
right? I mean, how people hear things and who the message is coming from is absolutely critical. Vital. It's vital. And so I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. If people want to know what they can do to help, right? It is really find some trusted uh, members of the healthcare community, community health workers. Again, the um, as strategic asthma plan um, has some resources, but um, you know, for the Native American community, I think that that having peers talk about this in a straightforward way and and really um, advocate that this is something that you know you or your child does not have to suffer with uh, because there there is help. And and the other piece that I want to really uh, advocate for is that once people get connected with a trusted healthcare provider, that they need a written asthma plan. Um, and the reason is, is exactly what you said, like, well, what if somebody's walking around and all of a sudden they have an asthma attack? What do they do, right? right? And, and once somebody gets connected with a healthcare provider that's helping them actively manage their asthma, much like diabetes, right? What do I do if my blood sugar goes high? Well, you take this much more insulin. What do I do if I'm having more asthma symptoms? We have asthma plans that are um, written very specifically in, they look like stoplights, right? So we have a green zone, meaning go. This yeah. is your daily asthma medication. This is what you do. In the yellow zone, if you're starting to have more asthma symptoms, these are the medications that you take as your rescue medicines. In the red zone, if your symptoms aren't getting better, if your child is having more symptoms of respiratory distress, this is what you do before you call 911 or go to the emergency room, right? And I will tell you that having the appropriate knowledge, right? This is again about communication, knowledge, and understanding of what the different medicines do and when they should be used, that this can make all the difference in the world for a parent who's at home on a Saturday night and their child starts wheezing and, and they they're like, they oh my gosh, right. the clinic's closed. What do I do? And right. so they have the medication and the tools to start helping their child. It's again, it's like having Tylenol at home or ibuprofen, right? What if you have a fever? Oh, well, we're just going to give them some Tylenol, right? So again, having a plan, understanding about what to use when um, can really, really make a big difference for, you know, I think you, you bring up, a, you bring up a great great point as it relates to um, disease management. Right. And, you know, there's there's disease management for the parent that's got to do it for their child. And then there's disease management for like an adolescent that knows they have to take the medication and the parent might not be uh, around to help, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think you pick up a, a really, really good point around action plans which 
I'll I'll be honest with you, it never never existed, you know, when when I was growing up for sure. Right. You know, there's right. other other little points that um we won't we won't talk about, but but I can I can just relate it for our listening audience. Um, a risk factor is obesity, for instance, or uh, might a risk factor be um, apnea? Okay, which probably I, I don't know if apnea is, is prevalent in in younger um, people in pediatric age, but um, you know certainly for adults is that does that exacerbate? or go hand in hand with, with asthma. These are subjects that we can, we can certainly put some more information in our, on our website for this particular episode. Also, Kelly has been great. So for our listening audience, as we've been chatting away here, Kelly's been adding some, some resources that we will be sure to get on our website for this particular episode. What you should know is that there's a lot more available today than there was yesterday as it relates to asthma prevention, acute treatment, and disease management. And I think that that's, that's great. Research has really gone a long way. We still have more to go, but knowing that it's, it's treatable and manageable is, is major, major for a lot, of, a lot of people. So thank you, thank you so much um you're eloquent you're you're you you know this subject matter <laughs> like it and it's great because it's it's very very useful i encourage our listening audience if you've got anybody in your family that has asthma or you might be concerned about listen to this to this episode it's a great episode and we can also connect with your public health professionals and your medical professionals for assistance. So thank you for health chatting today. We've got another show coming up next week. Clarence and I, imagine this, are going to do a personal reflection on our journey in health chatter so far. And there's been a lot of subjects in, in the health arena that, that we've discussed, and we're going to put our our perspective glasses on. So for everybody out there in our listening audience, keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com. Thank you.